Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. And now, let's talk about protecting your assets. So we were trying to figure out who's going to lead the charge. Is it going to be ag? Is it going to be inspections? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be uh, delivery? Who's going to take the reins and lead the charge to be able to say, these are the components we need in order to make this successful and everybody can work within this environment. And here's, and here's the infrastructure and here's the rules and regulations and we all agree to this. And this is a North American event, you know, Mexico, United States, Canada. This is all of us working together to try to figure this out. When we finally realized the industry that needed to lead the charge, that industry didn't want it, it was security. So, you know, we approached the big three, right? And said, hey guys, you know, it needs to be you that leads the charge because in every single component and every single use case that's out there, what's the one thing they all have in common? Security. Because if somebody is spraying a chemical in ag and a bad guy hacks that system, and puts too much of that chemical and kills that crop. If somebody is using infrastructure and they hack that drone and you know change the photograph to show that the bridge is not going to collapse in the next month and a half, mm -hmm. you know, who's responsible? And and what what's the element that we're missing? We're missing the security element. So I felt that security needed to take the charge. I, I felt security needed to take the reins. And I approached the top three. We approached the top three. You know, and and that's where, you know, it's brought us to the point where everybody, all these companies, you know, all the you got the Securitas and the Allies and the Gardas and and all these different companies. Everybody's into acquiring other companies, becoming bigger and bigger. But nobody's looking at this at this one thing that needs to get looked at, because. This is just my opinion, but man services is is done period agreed no ifs ands or buts man services is done um too many years of bad habits too many years of shitty management too many Sounds years like of, of of just of just piss poor business practices has has left a gaping hole in man services for something to take over and that something is unmanned systems robotics automation artificial intelligence algorithms and all these different things. So, so when you say, James, that you approach the big three, and by the way, I agree with you, your assessment of the industry, the, the contract security guard industry. I think the focus is on growth and acquisition and not on organic growth and quality and, and uh, professional development. But when you say you approach the big three, I assume you're talking about the big three contract service providers. 
would it not have been a better approach to hit the corporate security uh, elite of you know running the largest corporations? Because when I was a corporate security director for a large financial services organization, that was what kept me up at night. And I would think more so than what might keep up a guard or a secure test or an ally. Is there maybe a different approach vector that could be considered? So remember how I said I was working with a group of people? Um, within that group, we, we had some pretty heavy hitters. Um, and they were doing the corporate side of things. They were hitting up the big companies, the Facebooks, the, you know, the Good Amazons, yeah. you know, the, the big defense companies, they were hitting those companies up saying we need to do something. And this is, this is like, this is like, you know, this is the thing that pisses me off. Everybody wants this to work, but nobody wants to work together to make it happen. Right. <laughs> everybody wants this. Everybody wants it. You know, we want this, but we don't want to work together because we don't want ABC to know to you know to know what you know do we cheat him and how is doing it's just it's just that's the way it is nobody wanted to work together i was calling for a unification i even said to the top i even said to the big companies i said to them i was like guys how about we do this how about everybody throws in some seed some seed money we create one company you know not beholden to one company and we try to come up with a solution for for the security industry you know, and oh, no, we don't want to work with them. No, they're our competitor. Well, shit, we're one big industry. It yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who has the contract this this year, because ultimately, so, you know, the next year, somebody else is going to get the contract and somebody else is going to get the contract because they dropped it by a nickel, you know, a nickel an hour. So, I mean, you know, how long is that shit going to survive? It's just not. We needed to unify the industry in order to make this successful but nobody wanted to unify because it you know what what's me and, and four other people what are we going to do when we have no funding and we're sitting there holding our sign saying hey man we need to fix this and nobody wants to pay attention to us i i think we have to refocus because i know that when i was with luch and several other senior leaders in the financial district in toronto we, when we came together the hardest thing to get over was the fact that we were competitors and once we finally realize that we are competitors, but not when it comes to security, we're competitors on other issues, we we're able to work together in a trusting environment, easier said than done. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that know what needs to be done. There's a lot of good visions out there, but there's a, there, there, there's a lack of visionary leaders to bring people together to work cohesively. And that works to our disadvantage. I mean, that's why the bad guys will always be one step ahead because they're focused, singularly focused on their mission. We can't, we're too tribal to work together. Luke, I saw you sort of raising your hand. Yeah, no, it's bringing back all those nightmare conversations we had when we tried to create Pathcom and we talked about uh, G20 planning where, you know, to your point, James, you're, you're trying to bring, you're trying to raise the awareness level of security practitioners who quite frankly are focused on their door like they're and that's the most critical thing like you got to know what's going on with your neighbor what's going on across the street to be able to prepare for it and yet even today after all the crap that's gone on in these years you you're you're resorting back to isolation siloed uh, security programs in Toronto you know where where Brian and I work you know 10 years ago I'd like to say that it was pretty integrated. We had a lot of special interest groups. We had Pathcom up and running. Uh, we had a lot of events that that kept people at the table. To your point, there was an interest in them to be at the table and to participate. But unless that's there, unless that's there, 
if it's absent, you're not going to get that that buy-in. And so as you're as you're telling me your story and 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 your challenges, I'm thinking, what do you think it's going to take for this industry, the unmanned the un the unmanned vehicles that we're talking about, to be regulated? Is it going to be like another 9/11? And if that happens, you know, are we going to be all over the, the drones for two, three years, and then let it all slip away and just every it becomes the wild west again? Because that's what's happened in, in in aviation, right? Like 10 years, 20 years on now, 9/11, ah never happened again you know that's freaking ancient news how many of us actually think the tsa is helpful you know i mean that's the question you ask yeah. yourself does the tsa exactly. actually provide provide a, a a value to what they're actually doing and you know i would say a lot of people feel no no they don't right you know you've got all these security precautions let's just call it for what it is it's security theater you have all this yeah. security theater for for the sake of you know inconvenience <laughs> And 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 you're wondering why you're not making any headway, right? Um, Question to you, James, and I don't mean to cut you off. Is so, no. what do you see as a fix? I know you've said the security industry should lead that, but we know that security is one of the worst friggin'. I mean, we we constantly shoot ourselves in the foot. And if you're looking to government, we know we talked earlier about the type of leadership we have. So I don't see those guys doing anything. What do you think it's going to take to to have some kind of leadership emerge from from this wild west well, and, and create oversight? Right now, we've got some really interesting people that are that are coming up through the game. You know, you got um, I, I don't want to butcher his name, but I'm probably going to. You got William Santilli over at Nightscope. Um, you've got Mark Form, Form, Former um, um, over at uh, something Robotic Systems. I, I can't. Sorry, Mark. Please forgive me. I can't remember the name of your company. You've got some. You got some people out there that are that are fairly innovative. Um, that are trying to do something, and I and I really respect that. Like I I really appreciate it. The problem is, is again, everybody's in their their little worlds of, you know, trying to trying to roll these things out and trying to get companies to 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 utilize their systems and their technology. Well, if it costs a hundred thousand dollars to use a robot, and it costs a hundred thousand dollars to use a person. People are going to go that with that which what they are more comfortable with, and they're going to go with the person. So how do we fix this? How do we get the security industry to finally say, yes, we are going to lead this charge? Um, and that's going to come through new leadership. It's not going to come from, you know, no offense, Brian, but it's not going to come from ancient management. It's just not because they're built on the they're 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 built on the backbone of man services and man services only. Mm -hmm. The the real kick in the pills is going to be the day that Elon Musk gets pissed off as his, at his physical security team and says, well, screw this. I'm going to make robots. And that's just going to that's just going to blow everybody out of the water. Right. Look at the model that Boston Dynamics used with regards to spot spots, an affordable land based robot that almost anybody can use. You can buy one. You can actually go out and buy yourself a spot. And you can. These are the can, little dogs, right? Just to be yep. clear for yep. listening, the little they look like dogs. Yep, they look like dogs. Okay. They're usually, you know, many different companies have rebranded them, but it's still Spot. It's the Boston Dynamics Spot. They come in somewhere around seventy thousand dollars, right? So now you've got a robot. You can program the robot to do its its mission autonomously. You can put an arm on the robot to have it open doors. I mean. There's all these great things you can do with this robot and it's affordable. Why, why wouldn't I have a spot walking the overnight at a mall versus having a person walk in the overnight at a mall? Because 
all I need that all I need that thing to do is to identify that there's a problem and call out for a response, right? So I mean, it's not it's not that hard to integrate this technology, and it's only going to get easier and easier and easier. The one thing the security industry needs to do is stop trying to square peg round hole it. Stop trying to use something that's out there that's not meant to do this to do something for you that it's not meant to do and only get a solution that works 75% of the time. Why doesn't one of the top three or one of these huge mega companies say, you know what? We're going to open up our own R&D robotics division. We're going to build our own system. And it's going to be something that's cost effective, easy to use, easy to integrate. And then we're going to turn around. Once we build it, we're going to share it with everybody. That's a moneymaker, right? So can you, who's going to do can that? You do, yeah, that, that's, that's the question. And as you said that, I, I just to carry the point a little further, because my immediate response was going to be, honestly, was going to be, okay, so I got a robot in the parking lot. What's their response capacity? What can they do? But as I started thinking through that, well, you could put a you could put a naloxone kit on a friggin' robot. They could administer that. They can do uh, tranquilizers. Like you could do crazy things with them. Well, Is that something you really see happening though? Going but forward? it's the weapon. See now now that. now you're hitting on the scary part of right. positive use cases, right? It's are we going to arm a drone, right? Or are we going to arm a robot? Okay, so if we put a taser on a robot, the robot tases somebody and that person has a heart attack, you know, or goes into some type of medical emergency. I mean, what do you do at that point? The thing is, is that that would have happened either way, whether yeah. it had been a man person or a robot, it still would have happened. But, but, but those discussions are clearly happening if you've got but, the response, right? But I don't, like, but I don't think the, the goal is to eliminate the human element. I think it is to it is. optimize, okay? So rather right. than having 100 guards, poorly paid doing a, a substandard job have 10 guards properly paid uh, relying on the technology and i think that's the answer and i think because that robot scenario luke that you talk about even if it was uh, doable i don't think from a societal point of view we're ready for that you know and we're not yeah yeah i i don't think we're ready yeah. for that so well not I, today i'm talking in the future like this it really is limitless it could well, we, do that no, you're right, but I don't think in the next hundred years, you, you know, I don't. I did, nah, 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 that's actually I'm going to disagree with you. I see, I see it probably within the next, at the current pace we're headed, I, I see it within the next five to ten years. We're yep. going to have autonomous systems that will have a response capability, and depending, dependent on where they are located local rules, regulations, and government, whether it be lethal or less lethal response. Well, see, there's no doubt in my mind that you're correct. My point wasn't that the technology is not ready. We as human beings aren't ready to interact with robots. That's but we're being groomed to interact with robots right it's now. It's happening, yeah. It's I don't, happening. The, current, the current generation, the current upcoming generation is being groomed to be able to deal with these things. You know, it's 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 they're on these they're on these phones and they're on their TikToks and this and that. They're on their computers. They play in the virtual world. They get their virtual headsets on, their VR systems. They play video games. They socialize with people. 
you know, they're seeing this technology in their gaming. They're seeing this technology in their in, in television, in movies. They're being groomed to accept it. So when it. when the killer robot comes out, it's mm -hmm. going to be like, oh, well, it's no big deal. Right. Well, it's and, not going to be a big deal to them. I don't want it to, to be fixated on the, the like it doesn't need to be to your point, like we've said all along, the technology is agnostic. We make it good or bad. And they're already being used. I mean, I've read some cases, I've seen some videos where medical professionals are, are using drones to carry first aid equipment to remote areas, administer medication. Why wouldn't you be able to do that to the homeless guy in front of your building who's having an overdose? Like, it's just a mindset that needs to be changed. And I think to James's point, the new generation, they're already there, Brian. We're, we're old school, man. Like, like you're, you're, you're in the past already. Yeah, us, us, us white hairs, we're not, uh, we're not, we can't see it. Well, we well I'm not see it. Uh, yeah, I can't see what color your hair is. So it, <laughs> mine, mine certainly, okay, there, there we go. Mine certainly is 100% white. So your point's well taken, actually. You're right. We are there. I was just thinking as you guys were sort of uh, uh, lambasting me and embarrassing me. You're right. When I go to the grocery store now, I don't see a human being. I do self-checkout. So even right. I, myself as an older guy, I'm getting used to it. I don't miss that person. I don't go to the bank to deal with the teller. I hate going, waiting in line to deal with the teller. I deal with the ATN. The ATN doesn't give me any attitude. So you are right. I think we are closer than I. <laughs> and the service still stinks. Only now you have to blame yourself. You can't even blame the damn machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now you've got you've got fully automated autonomous McDonald's that are being opened yeah, up here in the right. U.S. You have robot. You have you have robot uh, cooks and chefs that are that are cooking food for people. Robotic bartenders. So you know we're there. We we're there. Um, whether we like it or not, we're there. It's going to happen. Every aspect of what we look at, there's always always an element of security. And Lucci said it earlier. You know, security is always an afterthought, right? It's never on the forefront. It's never the first thing somebody thinks about when they're innovating a new technology. There's like, they're just like, they want to bring it to market and show the wow factor. And here you go. They can do this, this, yeah. and this. And, and, and then somebody like you or I or Brian will sit back and say, well, what about if somebody takes it and does this with it? Oh, well, we don't want to think about that. Right. So there was this, and I, and I, I'm not going to call out the company, but there's a company that recently started talking about this, this unmanned drone for interior of, for the interior of buildings. And it can just, you know, go off and do a patrol and so on and so on. My first question is, is okay. That's, that's cool. I like it. Um, it's going to communicate. So that means it's got some type of wireless connectivity. What's to stop a bad guy from hacking that system because it's all ones and zeros, guys. That's all it is. What's to stop a bad guy from gaining access to this equipment? Because security is always an afterthought, right? And and it's 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 wild. It's just wild to 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 watch this happen. So I'll give you I'll give you a story. You're gonna love this one. So I had a um, I had a company that developed uh, drone detection equipment and software, and they put out a challenge and I said, okay, no problem. I'll, you know, I'll come out there and we'll, we'll play around. We'll see what we can do and see if we can beat your system. So one of the, one of the capabilities of their system was to trick the drone into uh, returning to home. So it would activate the return to home feature in the drone, basically forcing the drone to go back to where it took off from, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what I had done 
uh, with some help is we pre we reprogrammed the drone to think home was the facility. So when they initiated their system, the drone just kept flying. And they're like, what's going on here? They couldn't figure it out. And the drone landed on their property. And they're like, holy crap, man, this thing's broken. They were looking for everything. And then when I told them what I had done, they're like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you really expect the bad guy to play fair? Yeah. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Our infrastructure is so open, it's not even funny. I could, in in theory, when I lived in in uh, in in Canada, I used to live in Woodbridge, and um, you know, uh, Pearson's was not too far from from where I was. It, you know, as the crow flies, it was maybe five, ten minutes. So I could, in theory, fly a drone to Pearson's from my home and back, and not ever get caught mm -hmm. so now saying that people are freaking out right they're like holy crap how could you do that and it's just an easy thing to do it's not hard yeah. it's not a hard thing to do especially with some of the current mapping softwares that are available on the market google earth and all these different things right and now you've got 5g towers everywhere so now you've got 5g connectivity damn near everywhere so how hard is it? I've got connectivity. I know what the terrain looks like. How hard it, would it be for me to fly a drone to Pearson's back? So you have to think about that. And then you have the high speed racers, right? These little 250 millimeters or uh, excuse me, 250 gram systems. They're, they're like this big they're yeah. quads. You know, they, they move at over over 100 kilometers an hour. Are you telling me you're going to be able to catch that? You can't catch that. You can't see it. <laughs> so now let's so now let's let let me put the let me put the enterprising young bad guy hat on. So now if I can clock a drone over a hundred kilometers an hour and I can put maybe two pounds of explosives on a small little drone and fly it to Toronto Pearson's airport and put that drone up in the landing gear. Who's gonna find it? Who's gonna know it was ever there? Luke, you're going to have to bleep this section out. <laughs> <laughs> if he's thought it, someone's already probably tried it or done it. Well, if you want to, if you want to bleep it out, you can, you know, no, go no. for it. But, but, but I mean, that's the conundrum that, you know, that's sort of the Pandora's box being open. It really isn't that complicated. The attack vectors aren't really sophisticated. Any 12 year old can figure it out. The attack vectors yeah. are incredibly simple. Um, you know, the scary parts, I, it, in my mind, again, my mind works a little bit different than, than most security practitioners because of, of, of how I was, you know, how I was raised and how I was brought up. Um, so when I look at things, I look at things through a much different lens. I look at, I look at things through a, through a very bad lens, right? Bad like what's the, yeah. what's the worst thing? What's the absolute most horrific thing I can do? And I'll come up with it. And uh, some of the potential nastiness I can do with these things, it, it would, you know, it'd blow your mind, right? And people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Like I went to, what was that? Um, a couple of years back, Luch, you had me speak at a conference. Uh, I can't remember that group. Oh, conference board? Conference board what's of it? Canada? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that was it. And there was that nuclear group there, that uh, the nuclear team that was there from the different companies. And we were talking about, you know, talking about doing a risk assessment. And then I started, they asked the question because everybody knew I was the drone guy. So they were like, well, what about this? And I told the guys at the nuclear, on the nuclear side of things, I was like, well, I would attack you on, on all three levels. I would attack you. I would attack your water systems. I would attack your land systems and I'll attack you through the air. And they looked at me and they're like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, you want to bet? <laughs> My I almost I got kicked out of the room that day. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting, James, you were talking about the way you look at things. I think that's really a problem with the industry. I attended a uh, conference in Ottawa years ago. I think, Luke, you were there also where they were talking about red teaming. And uh, uh, most security people will look at the target from the target outwards. So, for example, in a commercial office tower, most security plans developed for that office tower is uh, start with the uh, security planner standing in the lobby, looking across the street, looking out to the street. The bad guy is across the street looking at the target. And as simple as that, that if you can look at it as you do from an adversary's point of view and not from the security point of view, you'll have a much more robust plan. I think the vulnerability is most people say, well, I've got a lock on the door. I've got uh, the front, I got cameras around the perimeter, I'm good. Without going across the street looking at, okay, maybe I'll go in through the second floor or the third floor or through the underground. So I think that's the weakness. I, I think inherently the security of a lot of organizations and critical infrastructure is flawed because you're not looking at it from the adversary's point of view. How many security practitioners, when they when they think of securing their facility, do they consider you know, simple use of tools and, and things like that, right? Like somebody can walk up with a screwdriver and just pry open the door and walk in. Um, you know, how often is it that the average security practitioner steps out of their out of their their one side of looking at things and say, you know, how can this be used against me in a sense, right? Whether it be sewer systems, water systems, fire systems, air, you know, HVAC systems, all these different things. How can how can that be turned against me? When it comes to this tech, you know, you, if you have a failure of imagination with regards to this technology, you already lost. Mm -hmm. Period. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. You already lost. So then, the one thing that we really haven't addressed, and I kind of did, was what to take to stop this, right? What can it what it takes to stop this tech? It requires a vast array of sensors and technology much bigger than the average client would ever consider using. So that's where we hit that we hit that snag because you're gonna spend six million dollars to protect against a drone, but you still have no response. Mm -hmm. So then that's just a waste of money. So why would you do that? You know, when's the government? When is North American government going to say, okay, we're going to give the we're going to give the counter drone technology uh, personnel and, and 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 inventors and designers, we're going to give you two years to come up with some solutions, and it's it's all you know it's gloves off. Do whatever you think you have to do in order to stop this. Will would they would they be able to come up with something that would work? We come back to what is the one thing that a lot of cities are now turning into and they're turning into smart cities. So you have massive interconnectivity. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got hospitals that are using drones to fly uh, kidneys and hearts 
from one hospital to another for transplant patients within certain cities. And it's all thanks to that interconnectivity. So now utilizing that interconnectivity as a good guy, if you put in the right centers and the right types of platforms and response, and you have the right kind of technology to mitigate drones in a safe manner, then you might have a fighting chance. But what's a police officer going to do when he arrives on site and there's a drone flying over his head? Is he going to shoot it down? Is, is he going to discharge his weapon? What you're saying is true. It's no different, though, than other threats we have, like on the cyber side or on uh, 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 child pornography on the Internet. It's out there, but we're really handcuffed to do anything. You know, the world is interconnected. The bad guy can be in other jurisdictions. It's not that the technology is lacking. I think it's the will and the ability to, to inter, uh, interconnect the laws and the legislation. I mean, if you look at international bodies like the UN and all these different uh, uh, conventions that exist, they don't really work because of our tribal, uh, the, the tribalism that exists within communities and within countries. I don't think, you know, I, I just don't know how even if we could figure out the technology, you need that political will, that uh, that cooperation to make it come into effect. Like you said about the FAA uh, regulating drones, you're right. You can have all the technology you want. If the FAA accidentally has created an umbrella protecting against that technology being deployed, you're nowhere the better. I think that's a bigger challenge. I think we'll always figure out the technology. I really do. I think it's the implementation of the, the the regulations is going to be the hard thing, getting people to work together, getting rid of the tribalism, the competitiveness, the fact that, you know, um, my company's competing with your company. That's going to be the bigger hurdle. Like Glutch said earlier, we all have the same problem with regards to security, right? Every single organization that's out there, every single entity that's out there, they're all dealing with the exact same security issues and problems that everybody else is dealing with. So if one company comes up with a solution, I mean, it's in everyone's best interest to share that solution. Because we've decided to become a global uh, nation or, you know, a global environment, a global nation or global corporate, whatever entity or however you want. To, how, can, how can you operate globally if you still operate locally? You just, it doesn't, it, it, can, it can't work. So if you want to be global, then you have to play fair in the sandbox. And if nobody wants to play fair in the sandbox, then ultimately, you know, nobody's going to have uh, the, those who come up with a solution are going to keep the solution to themselves. And that's, you know, we're, we're we're digging our own grave at this point. At some point in time, what's what's going to create the language? What's going to create the change? What's going to create the rules, the regulations that security industry actually needs? And it's going to be event driven. So is it going to be a 9-11 type event? event that's going to cause the entire unmanned system robotics industry to go back on its heels and say, ah, oh, shit, we got to fix this, right? Mm -hmm. So currently in the United States on the southern border between Mexico and the U.S., we're having issues with regards to migrate, you know, migrant immigration and so on and so on. And it's a serious problem. You know, uh, United States Customs Border Protection Services is clocking somewhere around 300,000 people a month that are coming across the border. They can't account for a quarter of these people. Those who do get caught by CBP ultimately are given a free pass to go throughout the nation. But it's the it's the individuals that are not getting caught that I'm interested. How many bad guys have been able to make it across the border? Well, shit, if the border's wide open, every, you know, every single bad guy we we've been trying to keep out of the country is now coming into the country. And these bad guys have been taught 
how to utilize this technology. I mean, I, you know, ISIS was opened up a drone camp basically showing showing young enterprising young terrorists how to how to manipulate this technology in order to make it do what it wants. So if that and and you know, somebody had to teach the cartels how to do this. Well, who the hell taught the cartels how to do it? You so, know. James, uh so if we bring it back to something more manageable, so if if I'm a security guy in charge of protecting an organization, let's say uh, I work for uh, a, a utility and I've got hydro towers all over the place, or I'm a property management guy and I'm protecting office towers or shopping malls, there really is nothing I can do, is what I'm hearing, to sort of protect my organization against the bad things that can happen from a drone. I'll give you an example. When I was running a, a security for a large real estate organization, we had several concerns with drones. One of them was that people flying drones over the property, if the drone crashed, it could hurt someone. The other thing we had, we had uh, 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 fortune clients or tenants in our buildings. And we would have reports of drones hovering the 36th floor uh, window near the boardroom where a board meeting was occurring and they'd call security and say help us do something there really is nothing the local security guy can do this is a bigger problem than that right it's like weather emergencies i just have to live with it is that what you're saying is that what i'm hearing yeah but see if you got a, and this is this is this rolls back to what i said a while back ago we need to we need to pivot our focus off the machine and look at the intent of why that machine is there, right? So when you said they had a drone hovering around the 36th floor by the meeting, what would be the intent of that drone being there? And then Brian, as the security practitioner, you need to put your bad guy hat on and be like, if I were doing this, where would I be? And then go to that location and see if you can find the person who's piloting that aircraft. Because, because the thing is, is that Yes, I can do all kinds of crazy, nasty things with a drone. I know what I'm capable of, but the average drone user is not capable of that level yet, yeah. but they, they're, they're flying. So if somebody's hovering a camera at the 30th level, somebody's got to be keeping an eye on that drone. So it, it's sort of, I'm a victim of what I said was the problem that I'm looking at the problem from the target looking outwards rather than saying, if I was a bad guy piloting that drone, where would it be situated uh, from that perspective? Now this is going to be me poking the bear. Um, the security industry claims that it does security. So what is an element of security? Surveillance counter surveillance, intelligence gathering, understanding operational capabilities, understanding what threats and what risks are, are, are posed to your organization and trying to protect your organization from those risks, right? So if a drone is a threat, then how do you protect your company from a drone? Well, you try to find the freaking pilot. That's what you try to do. It's not about trying to say, you know, we need drone detection all over the world and we need buildings and all this and somebody needs to shoot the drone down. We need to figure out what the intent is, mm -hmm. right? So as security professionals, the guards, the boots on the ground guards, they're not trained or they sometimes are and don't remember how to use it. We don't train those boots on the ground to recognize counter surveillance correctly. We do it at a we do it at a 50,000 foot level, but we don't do it at a 10,000 foot level. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because it's usually the guy that's higher up the food chain that understands 
the op, you know, the operational capabilities of somebody's trying to do counter surveillance or gather intel. If they're trying to do this, they understand the tools, the mechanisms that are utilized on average to do to accomplish that mission. So if somebody's using a drone, then you better understand how that technology works to try to figure out where is it originating from. And training a security guard to identify someone who's flying a freaking drone is pretty easy because it's some schmuck standing out there holding a controller with a big ass screen, flying it around and keeping his head down, you know? And if a security guard sees that, then you can go approach that person. So take your focus off the machine and look at who's operating the machine because you're not going up against someone like me, Brian, who's the average guy. If you're going up against me, you're never going to catch me, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. You ain't got a shot in hell. I'm going to beat you every single time. But if you're going up against somebody who's just the average Joe, who thinks he can gather some good intel utilizing a drone, then chances are they're going to be sloppy and they're not going to do it the right way because they didn't do their pre-operational surveillance. So it comes back to basic security concepts. Deter, detect, delay, and respond. I think we need more poking of the bear. Because I really think we have to introspect. No, no, seriously, though, Luke, I see Luke smiling over there. and everything. But we need it in, in a positive way. We really have to uh, uh, challenge ourselves as practitioners because when we become too comfortable and we accept the status quo, there's no change. And clearly, in some segments of the industry, and certainly in the contract security industry, but even in the technology industry, you know, uh, I know people that uh, uh, are in business development in the uh, technology side of the house, and their solution to security problems to sell you a camera without understanding what the problem is. So poking the bear is important, and I think we need to do that more honestly and more often, and we need to learn from that. I think uh, when often those that are poking become the bad guy, and people don't like to look at what is being uh, uh, revealed. But I think we've, you know, that's one way we as an industry can help raise the bar. Mr. Cedroni, when I say what James says, why do you give me such a tough time? When I tell you the problem is with senior security leadership. The oh, my God. Or you, the you just move it forward. You, you just think it's because the senior, the C-suite executives don't love them. You got to make them you, love them. You just suggested that the security leadership of corporations was going to solve this problem. You said that earlier in this podcast, and I'm just, oh, my God, seriously, did you just say that? <laughs> Who are you talking to, me or James? You. I'm talking to you. <laughs> we are going not solve it. We are going to draw oh my it. God. It's going to take people like Mr. James, our guest here, to poke the bear. Yeah. Because if we don't and do it, no one's going to do it. James, tell him he's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, the C-suite's... The C-suite executives barely understand what we do on a, on a daily basis, right? They just, they, the C-suite exec turns around and says to the security director, I need you to protect my stuff and make sure nothing happens to us. You know, do they care how they do it on a granular level? No, they don't. They just want it done. When your, when your security director is scared shitless to challenge your C-suite executive, you got a freaking problem. Exactly. When your when your when your account manager is afraid to you know put his put foot to ass to to the client to say no you're wrong, and the client's not right about this one, you've got a problem. Yeah. We've yielded 
entirely too much power to the client. Mm-hmm. And I understand, look, man, I get it. The client's the client. They pay the freaking bills. But if the client doesn't know the problem That's and right. is not willing to accept the problem, then how the hell are you ever going to come up with this? So basically, you're telling me every single security director in the world is behind the eight ball because they don't have the balls to take on the C-suite executive. Mm-hmm. That means as security professionals, given all our talent, all our experience, all our knowledge, we're still behind the, we're still behind the curve. That doesn't work. And the thing is, is that you've got multiple threat vectors. We have the cyber threat. We have the physical threat, mm-hmm. you know, number one, insider threat. We've got all these different threat vectors. Ergo risk. We have all this risk and people aren't willing to accept that or they don't understand it or they're not being told it. So how do we solve that problem? Well, you bring in a third party, do a risk assessment, say, hey, man, you screwed up. You got to fix this, this and this. Okay. if you don't fix this this and this, you're in trouble. Because as security directors, you're in your day-to-day grind. You're, you, you forgot your problems. You saw all your problems the first year. Year one, you saw every single problem you had. Year two, you're hitting sophomore blues, and you're just like, man, I just got to justify my existence at this point. <laughs> year three and four, you're praying to God that the budget, the budget tightening doesn't cut your job. And then year five, year six, the budget tightening does cut your job. You lose half, not your job, but you lose half your staff. Your security mm-hmm. budget goes out the damn window. And now you're going to start having problems. Now computers start disappearing. You know, there's leak. You got a leaky faucet on Intel leading out of somewhere. You don't know. And then the comp- and then the CEO turns around and says to you, shit, man, you were responsible for all this. What happened? And the C-suite and the, and the security director was like, well, you know, boss, uh, well, you, you know, you cut my staff. You cut my money. Uh, oh, that's just excuses. We get the shit kicked out of us on a daily basis, right? By people who have absolutely zero concept of what security is. And they're coming to us for our expertise. And we're afraid to give it because we're afraid to offend. You're entirely right. Hallelujah, brother. Really, it, you've got to be willing to put it on the line. And unfortunately, many, not all, there's some great security leaders out there. I've got many heroes out there. Mr. Cedroni, I hate to say, is one of them, actually. Oh, my God. Too many of us, okay, are, are scared to put it on the line. They're scared about their jobs and paying their mortgages. And those things are real. You've got to feed the family. I get that. But you bring no value if you don't tell them what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And I will just say one more thing. As sponsor of this podcast, we are looking for a host that has balls. Mr. Cedroni's contract is up shortly, and I'll give you a call. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm well, uh, as long you know, James, he'll probably double my salary to get you on the podcast. That's the you know, I'm a, zero. I uh, it's funny because I get I get calls from from companies. You know, hey, you want to come work with us and stuff like that, and it's like I I I. I turn shit down, right? I turn work down because it's not what I want to do. I'm looking for that right, that right place, that right fit to do the right thing. And um, I've become, because I'm so vocal and I'm so, uh, you know, just out there with some of my ideas, I scare a lot of people. And, and that's, you know, somebody's got to do it. Somebody has mm-hmm. to, 
right? Mm -hmm. Somebody has to do it. You, you know, years ago, you know, Brian, you'll you'll remember this. You know, 20 years ago, what did we call the insider threat? It wasn't called the insider threat. We called it espionage. We called the business espionage, spying. Now they gave it a fancy freaking name. Oh, it's the insider threat. No, it's just some schmuck who's getting paid, you know, a couple G's to freaking rip out some, you know, some some information for me. Problem's always been there, just never had a fancy name. Right Give it a fancy name and now it suddenly becomes something. Horseshit. I'm sorry. Yeah. The problem's always been there. We've been dealing with espionage since the beginning of time. Well, how does your stick work better than my stick? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 been there. It's always been there. Security. It's funny because I, I this I love this I love this statement saying this. I love the argument between which profession is the oldest in the, in the world, right? Some no people point. feel one protect one. Some people feel that one profession is the oldest, and I won't say it here because this is a family <laughs> audience. And then other people, you know, like myself, feel that security was the first. Well, I'm pretty sure security was the first profession in the world because that's what we needed. We needed to protect ourselves. We needed to protect our people. We needed to protect our, our villages, our groups. You know, that other thing, that was just entertainment. That came later. You know, it wasn't well, the I, first thing. Cavemen, cavemen had their caves. Ooh, okay. You know, big stick. My, my stick's bigger than your stick. They needed security before they needed yeah. the other thing. Well, you were right, because if you remember your psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, before you have at the base of that pyramid is the security of the safety of the person. Right. I think that other thing that everyone thinks is the oldest is way up that pyramid at, towards the top. You've got to have safety and security before you can have fun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if we've right. been doing security since the beginning of time and we still can't get it right, then somebody's doing something wrong. It's not, you know, I love... I, I truly love innovation, you know, all these great systems and technologies that are coming out on a, on, a, on a yearly basis. Some of these companies are doing some really great things out there. You know, look at some of these camera systems. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when you had some of these, these, these higher end camera systems, the AI algorithm wasn't on the camera. Right. It was it was on a remote location. So your camera needed to be connected to a server to be able to utilize that AI algorithm. Well, now there's companies that have got the AI algorithm on the camera. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So now the tech's on the camera. OK, so now if I'm an enterprising young terrorist, what am I going to do? I'm going to go grab that camera. I'm going to go figure out what makes that camera work. <laughs> and how many people think of that stuff? So you're telling me your tech is out there for somebody to just grab and take a look at and pull it apart and reverse engineer it and figure out what makes it tick? Why do you think your cell phone is patched every two weeks? It's patched every two weeks because there's a rush to market for profitability. Let's get it out there as quickly as we can and we'll figure out security as an afterthought. Same oh, yeah. thing with the AI argument. It's just human nature because of the cost of development is so great. The speaker in Ottawa was saying that Apple, if they wanted to, could wait to release the phone so it's perfect. But they would have lost five generations of phone before they get a perfect. And that's just the world we're living in right now, which makes our job more challenging. Before we uh, turn the ship towards port, <laughs> I wanted to ask James uh, one question that I think should be asked, uh, given the podcast and, and what, we're, what we're trying to do for our listeners. And that is, 
for anybody who's listening um, who is still unafraid <laughs> and considering um, or you know interested in unmanned technology for for their business, uh, you know what are your suggestions in terms of how they would build that program? Like, should they obviously they should reach out to experts and not just try and go to their local Radio Shack or or Best Buy buy one and figure it out that way? But what would be the process, in your opinion, towards building a proper drone program for for a client? Well, the first the the very first question I ask is what's the goal and why do you think a drone is going to solve that problem versus a, a camera or versus a different type of fencing or lighting or something like that nine times out of ten i find people that they just want the wow factor they want the cool factor they want to be the first kid on the block to have that unmanned system or that robot or that drone and in some cases it works in some cases it actually it, you know people are doing some pretty good things with it when people try to integrate this technology, they fail to consider all the different components that are required for the infrastructure. So it's like for me, anytime I'm building, I'm, I'm building a security program or a drone program, the very first thing I do is a risk assessment because I want to identify what are the problems I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to mitigate. And I often tell people the drone's not going to solve your problem. You know, if you want a drone, Drone's not going to do that for you. You just need to you need to rejigger your your camera system, install a couple of new cameras, install a couple of new sensors, and boom, your problem's solved. You don't need a drone to do that. Now, the interesting thing though is that when the drone can become the response, that's when things get a little interesting. So now you have companies that are developing indoor drones, which is really cool. It's a great thing. And rather than sending a person to go check on something, I can send a drone. So what's that do for me? It reduces the company's vicarious liability with regards to that individual. They're no longer responsible for that person's life. So if there is a bad guy there with bad intention, he's got a baseball bat or a handgun or a flamethrower, and he's looking to, to commit some type of nefarious act, I'm not putting someone in harm. And that it's a huge benefit. So now, if you look at it through the lens of, is it effective? It can be. It can be very effective to have a robot be your response rather than a human. The problem then becomes, what is that response? So let's go back to, let's take a step back and think about security, man security. What's man security's job? You know, it's different throughout all of North America. You know, Canada has different rules and regulations. The United States has different rules and regulations, and Mexico has different rules and regulations. In the United States, you're allowed to have armed guards, okay? Whether you like it or not, you can have a, 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 a $14 an hour guard with a gun. Is that a good idea? Is that a good idea in any way, shape, or form? You know, I mean, how much, how much shit are you willing to accept to have a $14 an hour armed guard? It just doesn't work. It doesn't. In yeah. Canada, you can't have an armed guard. So what's the job of the guard in Canada? The job of the guard in Canada is to get away safe, identify the problem, get away safely, and then report it to the police, and then have the police come in. Well, I can do that with a drone, right? I can do that with a drone. So there, I'm, there, I'm potentially saving somebody's life. But now back to Brian's point. 
And the reason why I point up here is because Brian's here for me. <laughs> so back to Brian's point. This, this pivot that, that is starting to happen, this change with regards to man-guard services, unmanned system robotics, is going to create something wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And the reason why I say that is because I'm, we're not eliminating jobs. We're creating jobs. We're creating jobs that are much more fulfilling for the person who's servicing that contract, right? No longer does that guard have to do a foot patrol, but he has to control and monitor that drone or send that drone to that specific location. He has to be well-versed in understanding flight systems and technology and how it works. We can dumb down the system only so much before it becomes unusable. So mm -hmm. there has to be some sort of human interaction. So rather than having a $14 an hour armed guard, I've got a $28 an hour guard controlling an unmanned system with his finger on the phone to call up the police. I'm still getting the same response, but I'm eliminating that threat factor or that risk factor for that, for that guard. And that guard now has a better paying job. Okay, so when man, the man guarding industry looks at me, they don't like when I talk about unmanned systems and robotics because they think I'm coming for their jobs and I'm not coming for your job. I'm coming to make your job better. I'm coming to make your service much more robust to actually provide security and not just security theater. Because now let's 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 take a step back, guys. So we have a big chunk of this infrastructure already out there. We've got all these different LSOCs and command centers and GSOCs. We've got all these places that are integrating all these different various camera feeds, alarm feeds, and all these different things. So now all we're doing is putting one more thing into the mix, one more thing that's reliable, doesn't fall asleep. We don't have to worry about, you know, healthcare plan for it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. No sick days, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> How hard is it? You know, oh, the, the 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 rotors are broken. Okay, let's just switch out the drone. Boom, that takes out two seconds. Or you know, mm -hmm. the wheel fell off. Go switch out a wheel. I mean, that takes a few minutes. It's not that hard. Man guarding services thinks that unmanned systems and robotics is going to ultimately be their demise. It's not their demise. It's their freaking salvation and they need to understand that it's their salvation to the future because in the future you're going to have you know you're going to have cheap robots and you're going to have expensive robots you know i mean that's just you're you're going to have robots with with FLIR camera systems and artificial intelligence and all these great things and that robot's going to cost 50 grand and then you're going to have the base model which is going to cost 20 grand how are you going to argue the fact that, oh, we're going to lose money. You're not going to lose money, man. You're going to make way more money because that $14 an hour guard is now going to become a $28 an hour friggin' specialist in a command center. And yeah. the $10 an hour guard is now going to become getting paid $20 an hour to go be a technician, to go swap batteries, 
fixed rotors and all that stuff. There's right. there's there's a necess, there's a necessity for infrastructure, and all we're doing is rejiggering that infrastructure to support the ultimate operation. And, and I think that you just said something that I've been uh, harping myself for for a few years now, and that's the need to change the model of the guard. It's not going to be a guy who just needs to stand at a door. To your point, they have to be tech savvy. They have to understand technology. You have to understand avionics. So that that fourteen dollar guard is is non-existent going forward, regardless. I, I just want to say something, also, James. You talked about a robot or, or, or technology at seventy thousand dollars, and if anyone thinks that's expensive, I just did a quick calculation. An average guard rate in Toronto area is about nineteen dollars. Twenty-four hour coverage over the year is one hundred sixty-six thousand four hundred forty versus your seventy thousand dollar, which has a six-month payback. ROI, which is incredible. And it's it's going to do the job in a lot more efficient manner than the $19 an hour guard that's going to get sick on occasion, going to be replaced by someone who doesn't know what they're doing, may fall asleep. It's not an expensive proposition. 70000 taken out of context may sound like a lot, but when you look at the cost of man guarding, it is a savings. It's a steal. It and the thing is, is that it's it's a huge savings, right? So now, if you've got a, one guard on a one, you know, on a one sixty eight doing their twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, but you got a robot in at seventy, then you've got to have somebody that's going to monitor and maintain that robot. So there's there's some there's some additional training and some additional money to be made there. And that guy, that one that one robot is for one site, but if you've got five robots work in five different sites then that one person is now can be you know managing five different robots at five different sites and then you've got a tech team that can go out there and fix and swap batteries and do all all these different things so you're just and it's all way more cost effective than $160,000 than one person at $160,000 I mean we do in our firm often we do RFPs for clients for manned services you know, almost every time the client says that we want a security guard that's not a Neanderthal, that's someone that knows what they're doing. So I'm getting value for the money I'm paying. And uh, uh, the status quo, the way we do things can't continue. It won't continue. I've met some some ground pounders that are that are out there that are just brilliant guys, man. There, I mean, there's some people out there in the security industry that work, the, that grind those hours that are really, really good at their jobs but they're few and far between. Exactly. Right? So that that means that that individual is now in demand. Everybody wants this guy to work for them, but I've only got one. Mm -hmm. So what am I going to do with that one? Everybody knows he's high speed, low drag. Everybody wants to use him, but now I've got to keep him happy. I can't burn him out. So I got to put him on a 40 hour, 40 hour a week job, give him the shift that he wants to keep him happy. And I only got one of him. It just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, our industry is broken. We know it's broken. Our industry's been broken. Now we have our salvation, but nobody wants to do it. Uh, nobody you know, wants to put the time and effort into it. Nobody wants to, everybody's doing it on a, everybody's doing it on a, on a, on a hundred thousand foot level. They're not doing it in my, and this is just my opinion, but they're not doing it the way it really should be done. Well, I, I'm going to poke the bear. I'm going to steal that expression from you. And I'm going to suggest that uh, I say this to clients all the time. 
why would you think the security industry knows anything about security? The problem with the manpower industry, from my point of view, my opinion is that it's really about just providing a human resource. It's an employment agency. The specialization that should be part of it is lacking for the most part. And it's simply because not that there aren't talented guards out there. It's just that we're unable to get them for what the clients are willing to pay. You know, at $14 in Toronto, at $19 or $20 an hour, you're not going to get the guard. It's going to be hard to get the guard that you want that ha that's committed because he can go next door, work at the donut shop and make $20 an hour. That's just the reality. But that's a whole other podcast. And I see Luke giving me the evil eye. Yes, I'm giving you the evil eye because you're going to kill me now. I was hoping to end on a more positive note. But those are the realities uh, that we've talked about. I think uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, lots of there's no shortage of opportunities going forward, but lots of lots of uh, potential too, as as you've talked about, James. It's not just about the bad stuff that that that's on the uh, on the radar. There's a lot of great things that we can accomplish with the right leadership and governance, which uh, which hopefully we'll start to see develop uh, in the coming years. I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a pessimist on that, but you know, you never know. We've been pleasantly surprised in the past. Before we go, I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for being a guest and spending your time with us, sharing your expertise, some of your stories. Um, always found it interesting, um, and I'm sure Brian uh, the same. Um, but before I, I sign off and turn it over to Brian for some closing remarks and then you, James, um, is there a place uh, online? I know you're on LinkedIn for anybody who's listening who wants to reach out to you. Is there any other places you want to mention or handles that you use that um, somebody can, can reach out to if they were interested in, in connecting with you? I used to be on a lot of different platforms until I got kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> so I could be found. Yeah, I could be found on LinkedIn or you can just go to my website, www.starriver.ca uh, to track me down. Um, I'm fairly easy to, to get a hold of and you know, I'm pretty responsive most of the time. Um, but uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to just reach out to me and let me know. I'll be more than happy to help you out. Awesome. Brian, any closing comments? Uh, just wow, James! I'm just really, really impressed. I always knew you were a sharp guy. I never realized that. You, I, I never met anyone like you, and your 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 knowledge of drones and technology and your vision for the future. So, I'm a big supporter. Thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with us today. No, I, right. I I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank and for the record, that hundred and sixty thousand salary that Brian's paying, uh, I only get. Like, I don't even get 159 of that. I get one, maybe, a coffee. <laughs> well, well, James, if you're looking for work, you're welcome to take my role. <laughs> the thing is, is that if Brian and I started doing a podcast together, it'd be just an absolute shit show. Because yes. we would just be talking trash all day long. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> all right, gents. Thank you for your time. I'm going to sign off. Thanks to our listeners. We look forward to uh, well, getting back to you in a couple of weeks with a regular podcast. We, we, we publish on the first of every month and the 15th of every month. So we'll talk to you then. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Take care. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.